Okay, thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Mark Grayshap. This is another Bottle Down, and it's one of my favorite segments that we do here on the show. So let me give you a little bit of an introduction, and then we'll hear from all of our guests. We've got a full studio. It's a beautiful day here in Austin, and I'm getting thirsty for some Sangiovese. So we've blind tasted in the lobby six different Sangioveses from around the world, six different regions, and we'll kind of talk about them, and uh, two different countries, so I think we're going to be seeing the U.S. and Italy, probably, and um, but six totally different regions, and uh, my guests here, who are winemakers and wine professionals and experts in the Austin area and beyond, uh, do not know the wines, and what's the fun part about this is you can go to the co-op blog, koop.org slash blog, and you can see what the wines are uh, and more information on the wines as you hear us talking about them blind. So uh, let me go around the room and, uh, and and let's hear, why don't you all say, introduce yourselves with your name and say something about what you do in the wine industry. Russell, you want to you wanna start us off here? Yes, I'm Russell Smith. I've been making wine in Texas since 1989. Before that, I was in Napa Valley. And then I bought uh, two vineyards in Spain four years ago, so now I make wine in Texas and Spain. That is so cool. I, you might have a visitor on your doorstep uh, <laughs> in a few months. <laughs> All right, Rob, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? I'm Rob Moshine, uh, also known as the Austin Wine Guy. I've been doing wine for 33 years now and professionally in Austin for 23. Wow. Been a retailer, a wholesaler now. I'm a wine educator, consulting sommelier, and writer, and uh, general all about wine guy. Pleasure to have you here. Penny, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Now, Penny Adams has been on the show before, um, and if you have missed that show and you're interested, you can go to uh, find the podcast at koop.org slash another bottle down. So, Penny, what, for folks who don't know you, out there. Yes, say, sir. Yeah. Uh, Penny Adams from Wedding Oak Winery in San Saba, Texas. I've been making wine in Texas since 1982, my first vintage in Texas. Uh, have wine education and uh, viticulture is my background and right. grow grapes and make wine here in Texas. Pleasure to have you here again. And uh, Jesse Brantley, our, our final guest. Jesse, what, what do you do in the wine industry? I'm the wine buyer out at Trattoria Lucina and for the Mandolas Markets. So I have the pleasure of spending my days just right on the verge of the hill country yeah. and sharing Italian wines with uh, people who've been drinking Texas wines all day. So it can be a challenge, but also quite exciting. Also. Oh, well, this is going to be great because your perspective here, we're tasting um, Italian wines and Texas wines. So I'm really interested in having your perspective here. And uh, okay, well... Um, if, uh, if anybody has any questions, uh, give us a call here in the studio, um, and, and I might open it up to some of our panelists. So 512-472-KOOP. I really hope you enjoy this. Uh, let's kick it off with, with wine number one. So we tasted six wines, and uh, let's kind of uh, do a, a brief talking about the wines first, and then we'll, um, we'll talk about what Sangiovese is about and how it ties us together. Actually, um, would one of you like to kind of open us off and talk about what typical Sangiovese tastes like. I mean, uh, you know, we, we had some conversation out in the lobby, which I want to bring a little bit in here now. What, what do you as professionals think about uh, uh, what Sangiovese is about? What do you expect? Rob? We were talking about this earlier, in fact. Um, when you think about Sangiovese, you think about a soft, light, lush wine, easy right. to drink generally, uh, friendly. Um, it can be a bit more complicated, but to me, initially, it's, it's a soft, supple, easy to drink red. Okay. 
high acid too, I think is one of the right things acid. that d d yeah. defines it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jesse, you want to talk about uh, some of the kind of incantations that, that aren't just simple, right? There's some that are world-renowned and, and have a little bit more body. Absolutely. You're going to find some really nice, complex, dense Sangioveses in Montalcino and both Rosso di Montalcino and Brunello, and Brunello as well. Yeah. So you get that nice complexity. You have the, the cherry, but it can be more dense, dark cherry. Yeah. You have a luxurious, almost cocoa feel to it with right. all the beautiful minerality. And Sangiovese just screams for food. Not that it's n not fantastic on its own, but it right. has those nice dried herbal qualities that just pair wonderfully with Italian cuisine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Russell, I don't think that they drink much Sangiovese in Spain. Um, no, they yeah. don't. It's pretty much unknown, but I would agree with Jesse um, in terms of enjoying Sangiovese because for me, they're, they're usually best with food and right. um, because they tend to be a little firmer, uh, mid-palate, little more acidity as you mentioned earlier right, right. they really need some kind of you know nice uh, tomato sauce or maybe a nice italian cheese to, to to show to their highest advantage right 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 wonderful and and peggy i would like to have you uh, now now your sangiovese is not in this lineup we will say that um so so you're tasting from a neutral standpoint can you give us a just a very brief um in and out of growing sangiovese what are the little particularities Right. Sangiovese grows well in Texas. It is an early bud break variety um, in terms of uh, potential frost issues in some vineyards, but typically uh, this grape grows very well in Texas. There's a few clones that we use specifically, clones 6 and 23, that are most planted in the hill country. Um, it's a very thin-skinned grape, so it's very apt to rot in uh, rainy conditions like we've been having, so you've got to Ah, Stay so on top really of your, watch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Very so, thin skin. so when things go wrong in the vineyard, it's usually due to rot or a freeze in the spring, uh, late freeze. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Absolutely. Well, I hope you all are thirsty. Let's start getting into the the wines. Russell, you're to my left here. Uh, you want to start us off on so wine number one of six. Um, and again, folks, if you're just tuning in, you can go to the koop.org/blog to see uh, what the wines are that we're take, that we're talking about here. Yes, I mean to me, wine number one was a kind of a classic old world style, um, very. Um, um, not quite austere, but certainly uh, uh, you know medium bodied. I got classic leather, some strawberry jam, nice color. Again, a great wine with food. Right, and we didn't talk. You know, color of Sangiovese is usually not as dense um, as some of the other grapes, and I think that from what Peggy was talking about, the skin, uh, which is where we get a lot of the color from. Um, that might play into it. So, Rob, what do you think of uh, number one? Pick uh, that up. I have to agree with Russell. I, I rather liked wine number one. Um, had a, a nice, pleasant nose to it. It was a bright nose. Again, I got hints of berry, and um, it was soft on the palate, but it had nice, bright acids, a, a slight hint of the earthy rusticity. Right. It nailed it nailed Italy for me, absolutely, in okay. the glass. All right, yeah. As we're talking, um, feel free to interject if you think it's Texas or what, what are some uh, some defining characteristics you might pick out. Penny, what did you think of wine number one? Well, I thought it had great uh, body and uh, kind of a slightly aged color. Uh, it was very earthy, uh, had some great red fruit and kind of figgy, uh, almost dried fig characters to me. 
the tannins were really nice and had a, a great backbone of acidity, but it was very soft in the palate and really super nice, nice wine. Yeah, yeah. Jesse, what, what, um, you, do you agree with the panel so far, or um, what do you think? I had a hard time with, um, with this wine, whether it was Old World or New World, because it was very earth-driven, a lot of that wet potting soil. But the condition of the fruit was quite baked, almost toward dried, which led kind of made me flip-flop between New World and Old World. But it was well-structured. It still had quite a bit of um, nice acid. The tannins were very present, but sort of soft, and I really enjoyed the structure and the flavors of this wine, and it seemed quite complex. I kept sort of wanting to go back and take another drink too. Right. So what's interesting is, um, and tasting in a flight now, all of these folks here are really well versed in, uh, tasting a lot of wines in a row. Um, but, but sometimes the first wine in the flight can be a little bit difficult, right? Um, did y'all revisit this wine and did it change at all or did it nail your first impressions right away? I, I did revisit it yeah. and it, it just reinforced what I had originally okay. thought. It was a little more expressive to to me and the earthiness was coming out a little bit more okay cool. but uh, i still really liked it on the revisit all right great here. yeah okay great um uh so so very nice uh jesse you want to start us off with uh, the wine number two wine number two i um did not enjoy as much as wine number one it, it again had a very baked fruit quality to it but I also discovered, I don't know if it was a VA quality or something on the nose that just was sort of disjointed about it. Um, I felt like it could have used a little more acid. And it, something about the, the tannins on the finish just left an unappealing hmm. flavor and feeling. In okay. The I just want to help listeners out there put together, um, in the wine industry, we use this word VA. We throw it around a fair amount. Uh, that stands for volatile acidity, which is basically that balsamic uh it's technically acetic acid so that's what balsamic vinegar is and it's it's kind of when something goes maybe not the best way uh and and the wine is tending towards vinegar um peggy what do you think of wine number two so i i thought it was uh, it left me lacking uh, uh the desire to I, I really didn't desire to go back and and visit it much it, it was big but it wasn't something that uh i could really put my my um, taste to I, I felt like it it had a little earthiness but not a lot of fruit it was big and kind of empty okay. so to speak for me yeah Rob what'd you think yeah I have to agree with the previous comments I I struggled with this wine a little bit it, it wasn't bad wine but it was very light to me in terms of structure and soft with mostly tannin and a little bit of fruit I kind of thought maybe this was a California wine because of that VA quality to it. Okay, and so your your thought process behind that was that since it's a little bit warmer in California, you might get that kind of clunky quality? California, California tends to over-extract, I think. Um, sometimes leave the, the grapes on the vine a little too long, Okay, and it creates a, a brighter style that's more fruit forward and more tan and heavy than you would find in the old world and that's yeah. where why i kind of landed this as a new world wine right and so that's that's certainly and we'll see that maybe throughout the tasting as well so there's a there's a couple of california wines in in here so russell what'd you think I'd like to add just a couple of technical things to this. Yeah. Um, speaking you know, specifically to the, to the warmer climate aspect of this wine, which I agree with, uh, and volatile acidity in general, there, there are two components to volatile acidity. There's the one that you mentioned, which right. is acetic acid, which is a result of uh, 
bacterial action causing vinegar basically right. and then right. the other component which is actually more common in wine is ethyl acetate right which, which is an ester right, right. Uh, which most people uh, would recognize as fingernail polish remover and that is typically uh, that's what i get in this wine although slightly but that is more typically what you find as an expression of volatile acidity right. in modern wines right absolutely um okay so maybe not the maybe not the the favorite of the bunch here um but we will we will see um let's let's hit wine number three and then we'll we'll take a short break and we'll talk more about the journal and a bunch of other things going on who wants to start this one off uh wine number three rob why don't why don't we start with you Okay. Um, this wine was unexpected for me. I mean, in terms of thinking Sangiovese, as we talked about earlier, it, it had a very ripe fruit quality to me. I got a, a hint of eucalyptus under there, which I don't n never, ever expect to see in Sangiovese. Um, very chewy structure, chewy tannins. It, it said probably, again, someplace a little bit warmer, mm -hmm. but it didn't have that California style, so I'm thinking it might be somewhere southern italy Right, so that so, so that southern Italian uh, is is seeing more sun, more heat, and yeah. so you get a little bit more ripe fruit. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, um, Penny? What, what what do you think? Right, I I agree with Rob there on the. Uh, I felt like the the alcohol was a little high on it, and that's to me screams that it was a hot weather, um, probably southern Italy in my opinion. But uh, it has had bigger acids uh, than number one, certainly. Lots of layers of uh, black currant and red fruit and kind of an earthiness. I, I did like the um, this wine. Uh, it wasn't my favorite, but yeah, I did like it. Oh, very cool. Jesse, you want to you wanna pick up that thought? Yeah, I actually very much enjoyed this wine. And picking up on that fruit quality, it really almost had a carbonic macerated, like a tutti fruity chewy, really fresh, bright feel to it, but still with some of those old world qualities. I still picked up on those dried herbaceous qualities. Um, and it did seem Italian to me, but from a much warmer place in Italy. But I did really enjoy this wine. It was fresh and quite pleasing on the palate. Yeah, Russell, what, last comments there? Yes, uh, a good, simple Sangiovese. All right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I get too complicated about it, Russell. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I love. Sometimes that just has to be said. Sometimes we just have to say, you know, the, the simple things and have impact. Um, we are going to take a short break. We're right about at the half hour mark, one uh, thirty in the capital city of Texas. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, this is radio for people and not for profit, and um, and we always have a really fun time here. Uh, remember, this is our Texas versus the world edition of Another Bottle Down. And um, if you want to see uh, more information about the Texas Wine Journal, it's texaswinejournal.org. Um, and uh, and Daniel Collada is the one behind um, rating Texas wines in a, in a blind and unbiased way. And then uh, one of the uh, top wines in the category uh, gets selected. It gets written about on that website. And then we try and throw it in here uh, on the show. And we always have a lot of fun with it. Um, stay tuned. We're going to talk about the, the remaining three wines. And uh, when we come back, we're going to do the reveal. So uh, stick with us. All right, we're back here. We're live in the studio with the Texas Wine Journal, uh, two panelists from the Texas Wine Journal, and then we have two winemakers here in the studio. Um, just to review, if, you, if you're just tuning in, we have Russell Smith, who is a winemaker in a Spanish uh, winery called Cellar Barcelona, and he also uh, makes wine at Barron's Creek. We have 
uh, Rob Moshine, who is the Austin wine guy, we have and consults for various restaurants around town, uh, and the Champagne, the CIVC. Um, he's educator for them. We have Penny Adams, who is a winemaker at Wedding Oak Winery, and we have Jesse Brantley, who is beverage director and sommelier at Trattoria Lacina and Mandolas, which is uh, pretty new. So congratulations for that. Um, I always like uh, visiting Jesse and and uh, going to some of the winemaker dinners that she puts on. Uh, I think if Italian winemakers come in to Texas, they obviously come into the studio here to have another bottle down interview as well as a, a winemaker dinner at uh, Trattoria Lacina. So that's very cool. Um, if you're just tuning in, we, we're, we're doing Texas versus the world. We've blind tasted six Sangioveses from uh, around Italy and the U.S., California and Texas. And there's one in there that is Texas. You can see which one it is by visiting koop.org slash blog. I've posted it on the co-op blog. And, and go to the website for all kinds of information. So we we just hit uh, wines one through three. Now we're going to go on to uh, wine number four. Um, let's uh, let's see, P- Penny. Maybe we'll start with you since um, you haven't started us off yet. Right. I thought this uh, wine was a little bit light in color, uh, not a real big uh, hefty wine, um, but kind of aged. Um, had an earthiness to it, uh, but it's still very simple. Maybe a little bit of uh, red fruit in there, and maybe a, a dusting of cocoa. Uh, very firm tannins and uh, kind of a moderate acidity. Right. Uh, yeah, cool. N- nice little simple wine. Yeah, I got I got some pretty aromatics too, and and I would agree with that. Jesse, what do what do you think? I like the fruit here. It was a bit tart um, and refreshing, more cranberry than a, a baked feel to it. There's also this sort of brambly quality that I enjoyed, almost a greenness. It made me question if there was some stem inclusion there because the tannin was so present as well. Not really heard of a lot of that with Sangiovese, but it did um, lead me to, th- to think about that. But I did enjoy the structure and the, the acidity and the tannin and the complexity of it. Okay, cool. Um, Russell, I might ask you about that stem inclusion. Um, uh, Rob, what, what, what did you think here? I was not a fan of this wine, personally. Um, I found it really thin in structure. Um, it had a screaming acidity to me that, that overwhelmed the little bit of fruit. It, it, my tasting note says, okay, not great. And that's really about all I can say about the wine. I personally didn't care for it, and I nailed this as the Texas wine. All right, all right. Well, we shall see. Um, Russell, what, what did you think? And maybe you can comment on the winemaking side to what Jesse was talking about with the stem inclusion. Uh, some people include stems in fermentation. I don't think it's really ever a good idea, to tell you the <laughs> truth. Um, and, and, and it's something that's that's done less frequently now it's more of a of an old school technique right uh i was not particularly happy with this wine it, it it's got a kind of a really unusual sort of geranium dill character it seemed advanced in age although it may not necessarily be an old wine right by least favorite probably of the group okay okay um well we will be doing the reveal in just about uh 10 15 minutes so um why don't we Why don't we take this opportunity um, to talk about some of the food pairings before we move on to wine number five? Uh, Jesse, I think that the, everybody had said that Sangiovese is a really food friendly wine. Can you talk about you know why that is, and then and maybe some of the the, the foods that you um, that you and Rob in the in the restaurant world really work with and try and you know get the staff to kind of play around with the customers? What, you know, what is it about the wine, and and what does it go well with? 
<laughs> so San Giovese, one of the classic indicators, is sort of a, a tomato leaf component. So to right. me, it just really pairs beautifully with tomato sauce. So pizza is a classic pairing, um, nice marinara sauce, anything with those nice dried oregano, basil, red sauces, just really pairs beautifully here with a San Giovese for me. Very cool. And and uh, meat, no meat, what do you think? You know, the cured meats, it goes well. And absolutely, um, especially the, the firmer San Giovese's that have that nice structure have screamed for something a little bit richer, right. perhaps an osobuco or some nice rich Italian I dish. think maybe um, maybe the saltiness of the charcuterie, the cured meats, might be, be very well balanced with the acidity of the of the wine, right? Absolutely. Rob, what, what do you do uh, at some of your consulting restaurants? Yeah, I, I have to agree with Jesse. I mean, to me, pizza is like the quintessential pairing right. for Sangiovese. And anything in the old school Italian restaurants, you know, the tomato-based <laughs> right. spaghetti and meatballs, ragu, that's exactly the perfect thing. But yes, if you go to like a Brunello or, or these more advanced ones, you could certainly step up to heavier braises or even a steak off the grill because um, it does have the, the body to do that. But your everyday Sangiovese, it's just like, Perfect right. with Italian food. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Russell and Penny, are, do you at, when you're cooking at home, uh, do you agree? Do you kind of play with the same sort of things? Do you have any different twists? I actually enjoy Sangiovese with uh, chicken on the grill. Uh, um, yeah. I think it stands up to it pretty nicely. It's uh, it, it, as long as it has some good uh, uh, crusty uh, skin on the on that right. chicken, yeah, right? yeah. with <laughs> some herbs of oregano and things like that. Cool, Russell. Any thoughts? I usually drink it when I'm out. I don't drink a lot of Sangiovese at home, but okay. uh, it's it's a treat. I'll save it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, very cool. Thanks for your insight on that, guys. Um, let's let's Russell. I might um, might come back to you and uh, to to kick us off with wine number five. What do you think? Um, actually, I like number five quite a bit. It, it had a kind of a spiciness that's a little bit unusual. I got some clove on the nose and in the uh, on the palate. A little dried cranberry, uh, a little short in the finish, but overall good effort and very enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, and, and structure-wise, fair amount of structure. Yes, nice acidity and, and good firm tannins. Great, great. Rob, what'd you think? Yeah, I have to agree with Russell. I rather like this wine as well. It was soft. But at the same time, it had a, a nice supple quality on the palate, good fruit, a hint of that earthiness, strong tannins that weren't overwhelming. It suggested Tuscany to me um, in, in kind of a classic style of Sangiovese. I, I liked it. Yeah, very cool. Penny, what do you, what do you, what do you think? Well, actually, I disagree. I, I uh, didn't like this wine at all. I, we I, like uh, disagreement here uh, on another the, bottle down. I thought the nose was off. It was very uh, herbaceous and kind of microbiologically unstable. It just, it, something was off with it in, in my palate, in okay. my world. Where does that direct you? I mean, so uh, obviously microbiological instability can happen anywhere. Um, does this point you to a certain, I mean, you know, sometimes these old school wineries do things where you can pick up what some people might consider flaws. And typically it's the winemakers, I should say, that are more critical to the flaws. And sometimes, um, you know, just regular um, folks who work with all different kinds of wines aren't so critical of them. It really, uh, I remember here on Another Bottle Down, we did a Roussan Texas versus the world. And the room was divided because it was clearly pretty oxidized. There was one that was clearly, clearly oxidized. And the folks who worked in restaurants, that was their favorite wine. And the winemakers, it was their least favorite wine because it was on the border of acceptable, but for the winemakers, it wasn't. So it's interesting that you say that. 
Right. I, I mean, it could point to a lot of different things in the cellar, um, you know, from barrel, uh, bad barrels to right. other things in yeah. the cellar. But, but it doesn't uh, point you to a certain region. No, not necessarily. Okay. All right. Cool. Jesse, you want to jump in the fight here? Sure. I'm actually more in line with Penny. Um, the first thing I wrote down was barnyard quality, um, which is not always necessarily displeasing, but it did seem to sort of jump out at me um, along with leather. And then fruit seemed to be a bit secondary coming out in this wine. Yeah. But I like this wine. Wasn't my favorite, but I didn't necessarily dislike it either. Okay, all right. Well, that's what the whole world of wine is about: um, disagreements and agreements. And hopefully, uh, you know, then then we can we can find uh, some agreement and and enjoy each other's company, right? <laughs> Which I'm sure we will in the lobby afterwards. <laughs> okay, who wants to kick us off for the last wine, wine number six, um, and then and then we'll 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 talk about some other things and do the reveal. Well, I, I'll start off. Okay, great. Uh, yeah. there. Penny's uh, jumping in. So uh, I thought this was a, a pretty wine. It was a big, deep color to it, uh, bright, and uh, the aromas kind of s- stuck out to me as kind of big red uh, and black fruit together, actually. Uh, it had great structure, I thought, and re- very balanced tannins and uh, acid. I just thought it, it had a lot of fruit, and it was a, a big old wine that, yeah. that you like to sit down with. All right. Something big off the grill. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, does anybody agree with Penny here? That um, Or or uh, I'll, I'll pick you next. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with Penny. Uh, this, to me, struck me as being a Reserva-style wine. Okay. Maybe a wine that had been in barrels two or three years longer than than uh, some of the others. And right. so it's got a more mature, mature character and better integrated very cool. Yeah. Rob, what do you think? I, I, I tend to agree. I, I liked the wine. Um, soft nose. I, I got, also got those dark fruits and really solid tannins. I, I found it a bit hard-edged for some reason. Okay. Uh, the tannin can you, and the acidity, can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah. The tannin and the acidity seemed to overwhelm the fruit, and it, it made it a little more difficult for me. Um, and it didn't strike me as an old-world wine. It seemed to have that boldness that I associate with California. So I, th- I thought this one was another California wine. Um, it wasn't right. bad wine. It just, it just came across a little, little hard to me. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, who has yet to comment? It was Jesse. Yeah. So I'm playing off of what Rob said. I did find something about it to be a bit disjointed, but I also agree with Russell um, thinking in the more of the Reserva style because I always find this sandalwood cedar quality and the Reservas um, that's different than an oakiness that I find anywhere else. And I did find that in this wine and I quite enjoyed it alongside a sort of cured meat quality. So I found it very yeah. interesting. Okay. Yes. Very cool. Well, um, we have analyzed all the wines. Again, uh, these folks here, these winemakers and wine professionals, have uh, tasted these six wines blind out in the lobby. Um, and then Rob Moshine and Jesse Brantley are part of the, the panelists on the Texas Wine Journal. So for more information there, texaswinejournal.org. Um, and we've just tasted Sangiovese. We're going to hear uh, an underwriting announcement, and then we're going to be back uh, with the reveal and kind of to talk about our final impressions. So stay, stay tuned. 
Okay, we're back. This is the Texas versus the world segment of Another Bottle Down. Um, I, I've, I always have fun doing this, and, and I agree. Jesse, uh, during the break, had said, um, I always love tasting with winemakers because uh, they come at it from a totally different perspective, and, uh, and especially to taste in this totally unbiased uh, setting where all the wines are blind and nobody knows where they're from. Uh, we do know one thing about them, and that they're Sangiovese. So uh, you guys Ready for the reveal? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and folks, if you're just listening out there, just tuning in, it's koop.org slash blog. You can follow along. All right. Wine number one, which I think everybody was pretty pleased with, right? Um, uh, and I think that everybody had d- pretty much decided that it was uh, from the old world. And by old world, we mean Italy, France, Spain, uh, Portugal, etc. Um, and indeed, you were certainly right about that. Uh, this is a Sangiovese 2013 from Puglia. So, uh, and Puglia is in the south. It's Fiudo di San Nicola. So um, that's very interesting because, I, you know, somebody had said uh, when we have Sangiovese in the south, um, they tend to be a little bit riper and bigger fruit. And I didn't get that out of this. Um, but that just goes to show you, even in warm regions, we can have cool nooks and crannies, right? It, it could be a high altitude vineyard yeah. uh, because it's mountainous down there in parts of Puglia. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very cool. Okay. Well, really good commentary on that, I think. Um, all right. Number two, um, it was from the U.S. And it was actually from Lodi. Um, and it was uh, the vineyard in Lodi so and that is 2012 vintage does that I think that everybody had picked this of being an, a new world wine right what, what did you yeah, you, yeah sure. Rob certainly yes. did I think we all kind yeah. of picked it out as a new world and and if I recall folks had said that um, it, it was a pretty warm vineyard right um, and that is certainly the case with Lodi. Although in Lodi, we, we, um, there was this big division of uh, AVAs, and now there's 11 different AVAs within Lodi, and one of the reasons they did that was to separate some warmer areas from cooler areas. But interesting, I, I think that all the commentary on that was excellent. Yeah. Um, okay, moving on to wine number three. Um, was another California wine, and this was from Amador County, uh, which is northeast in California, and it was Sabona Estates, and it was 2014 vintage. Um, How do you spell that, please, Mark? It's Sobon, S-O-B-O-N, Estates. And... um, I think that, that that was an interesting one because folks really, I think that you all really picked that out as being a pretty warm climate, right? Yeah, very interesting. So good calls on the New World wines. I think that um, you pretty much nailed those. Uh, wine number four, which was not the, um, which was certainly not the favorite, uh, that was indeed our Texas wine. That was our Sangiovese Super Texan. Um, and I will say that, you know, we always root for the Texas wine here, but sometimes it, it doesn't, it falls a little bit short. And, and we do have to also add that this was one of the top rated wines at the Journal. Um, but it was not the the very top. So uh, the report on that will be coming out shortly on the texaswinejournal.org. 
Okay, let's cool. Let's move on. Wine number five, which the room was very divided on, and I find this incredibly interesting, which was the, um, this was the Brunello di Montalcino. Um, and, and that is from Renieri, was the producer. 2011 is the vintage. So that's also the oldest wine that we had uh, because in Brunello they have this aging requirement uh, that is quite vigorous uh, aging requirement. So, so that was very interesting. I think that folks saying that there was that, you know, herbaceous sort of quality or old school winemaking, you know, that's that's kind of what we get when we have long barrel time. I think Penny had said, you know, something about barrels uh, there before you can re-listen. <laughs> um, cool. So that was, what did you guys think about that? Now, Brunello is often thought of as a, you know, the regulations to make Brunello are pretty, um, pretty, pretty uh, stringent. And so you, it seemed like you almost were uh, disappointed by that. Or Rob really liked it. I liked the Yeah, I, I actually liked this. Knowing one. it's Brunello now, does that let you down? Or does it does it? No, it doesn't let me down at all. Okay, Quite great. the opposite. Yeah. Okay, I, was cool. like, I love Brunello, and I'm a little upset I didn't recognize it as Brunello, but at least I liked it. You did get it that it was Tuscany. Yeah. You, you did get I Tuscany. Did, so right, Brunello is within Tuscany. Montalcino is the village, um, and Brunello is what they call locally the Sangiovese grape. So that was really, really cool. Penny, knowing that this is Brunello, you were, I think, maybe most criti- critical of this wine. Did Knowing now that it's Brunello, are you kind of like, eh, maybe yeah. the, eh? The producer yeah. is not not on your not going to be on your radar. Not going to be on my radar. <laughs> okay. Well, another thing too. 2011 was a really difficult year worldwide. One of the yes. one of the rare, almost global bad years. Right. So and, it's and it's difficult really to to when you think about the 2011s. You might when you're selecting wines, you might want to give them a miss. Right. So and and of course you know um, in. And of course, every producer is, uh, I think a lot of producers like to make wine in bad vintages. So that way, if they shine, they really shine. But, um, you know, of, of course, vintage is something that's really uh, a, a pu- piece in the puzzle. So thank you for bringing that up. Um, okay, the last wine, wine number six is uh, Montalassi is the producer. And it's also from Tuscany. It's from the region, uh, the DOCG, Morolino di Scansano. And, and the vineyard is Poggio Etrusco. So, and the vintage was 2012. So. So, um, you know, that's really interesting th- because I think a lot of folks are taking quite an interest to Morolino di Scansano, right? Uh, it's in the south of Tuscany, um, for a little bit further south from Montalcino, uh, quite a distance from what a lot of people know of as Chianti. Um, and so so I think that that's interesting. Does that surprise anybody, that, that Morolino di Scansano? Yeah, I mean, everybody was pretty complimentary of this wine. Yeah, it it doesn't surprise me. In fact, it explains why I found it a a bit hard-edged. The the Morellino wines do tend to have that harder edge to them, I found. Right, right. Yeah, cool. Any other other thoughts here? I think this wine will benefit with even a little more time. Right. So it can sort of come together. Yeah, so so when you're... Is that something hard that... um, Let's talk about that now that I have some winemakers and and restaurant folks here. Sometimes do you love a wine but not put it on the wine list because you think it's it's almost it needs too much air or it needs a little bit of more time and so the concept there is that with the aging the, the acid and the tannins round out a little bit making it more approachable right Absolutely if I don't feel like a wine is readily drinkable then I'm going to go ahead and let it sit in the cellar for a while until it's 
showing a little bit better. Yeah. And do you do that? Do you sell our wines at Lucina? We do. And, we have yeah. um, a little bit of storage space out there and lots of flexibility with uh, changing the list up. So if something's not drinking as it should, then we're fortunate enough to have the room to let it just sit and rest. That, and th that's very cool. I did not know about that about Lucina. Awesome. That's uh, unusual and, and yeah. fortunate for the yeah. restaurant industry. Uh, I consult for Hopfields, for example. And um, they don't have the inventory right. or the space to sell their wine. Right. So there we have to be very cognizant. Yes, I'd love to put older wines on the list, but the reality of the marketplace in Texas and Austin is you can't find very many older aged wines. Right, right. Um, so you have to find something that absolutely, when the server opens it and takes it to the table, the customer has to enjoy it right then and there because they don't want to wait for it to open up and breathe because their food is coming. Right, right. And do you guys, from the winemaking perspective, do you ever think, oh, you know, I'm going to not release a wine because it's a little bit too rough edged? and I might let it chill out in the cellar to allow it to, um, you know, round out or, or are just, you know, keeping the, the pipeline full and all that more important? <laughs> well, typically, you know, we're under quite a bit of constraint to, to, to make wines that are drinkable immediately. Yeah. And that's something that's in the front of my mind from the minute the grapes arrive at the winery to the time I bottle. Right. Is right. The how can I make this wine attractive sooner rather than later because most folks just don't have the patience or the time or the space you know to wait on wines right. and typically a wine that's a that's approachable early on if everything's in balance it's going to continue that trajectory you, you, if you're if you've got a really tan tannic wine um you can grow old and the tannins are still partying and everything else right. is falling apart right <laughs> i'd like to add something to, the, yeah, to sure. what russell said which is quite true some years ago when i was a chain wine buyer for rubens um we participated in an industry-wide survey that resulted in the length of time between point of purchase of a bottle of wine and point of consumption in the United States right. was less than four hours. <laughs> So that basically it means somebody was at the grocery store at three o'clock, four o'clock in the afternoon and heading home right. and opening it for dinner at seven. Right. And no people in the United States do not as a rule yeah, allow, age their wines. Right. I mean, I'm one of the few people who does, but right. you know, right. most people don't. Yeah. Um, Penny, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? You know, change in the bottle all the time. So uh, as a winemaker, I'm, I'm always tasting our wines that are still in inventory right. awaiting release. And if something's not ready to go out, it's not going out. Right. I just released the 14 uh, vintage, which we bottled recently. But it's, you know, it if it's not tasting right, right. I'm not going to let it go. Now, of course, door. tasting right, that you know, there's a spectrum and there's a, a window, of course, that, you know, um, for example, when I started tasting wine, and I'd like your impressions in our last uh, few minutes here, I mean, I loved... I was against the grain. Often when you start, uh, you don't want a lot of tannin and acidity. And, and for me, I couldn't get enough. I just needed humongous wines when I started. And then, then I started to, you know, after a few years back off into, you know, the, um, the more elegant, refined complexity of, of the spectrum. Um, why don't, can I have you share maybe a, a wonderful story about Sangiovese? Any, any really nice experience that you've had uh, memorable uh, with, with Sangiovese? Basically, from around the world, yeah. Well, it's been my experience. I mean, certainly with the Italians, uh, that 
they always taste better in Italy uh, <laughs> by, a, by a tremendous margin. And some, there, we get a lot of great Sangioveses over here. And I hate to sound this way. I know it's probably crazy elitist. But nevertheless, if you really want to taste great Sangiovese, you really need to go there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, there might be, and and so you really don't think that you know it being on vacation because Russell, for you, um, you know, you have homes both in Spain and here, uh, or you spend your time in both places. Um, do you do you do you feel that way? Do wines kind of taste different for a while, or do or Spanish wines totally tasting different uh, there as opposed to here? What are your thoughts on it's that? It's interesting you should say that. It seems to be you know from my experience. Yeah more pronounced with uh, with the Sangioveses, the, the, the Tuscan wines, than with almost any other wine from any other place. And right. I can't tell you why that is. And it's not that, that Tuscany is just so beautiful that all stress melts away and the taste buds are... Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm tr- I try to be uh, uh, sure. you know, professional when I evaluate Absolutely. these things, but I, I, I honestly feel that way and I can't tell you why. All right, yeah. Rob, do you have any fun Sangiovese stories or any old bottles you've had and enjoyed? Oh, Yes, I, I, one in particular is just really hitting me. Um, it was a bottle of 86 Brunello that a friend brought me as a birthday gift a couple of years ago. Um, and it was just a glorious bottle of wine. And sadly, Chemo Brain cannot remember the producer right now. Uh-huh. But it was a really top-shelf, top-notch, well-known Brunello. And it was just supple, elegant, glorious. You know, it had really come together. It was one of those moments... Sometimes in the wine world, it's hard to find that wine when it's at that top of its game. Right. You know, yeah. it's me. You either opened it a, a year or two too soon or a year or two too late, and that wine was just right where it was right. supposed to that be. That might and, be one of our our quests in the wine industry that, you know, when you just find something that nails it and you just have an epiphany and then you have the wine two years later, three years later or whatever, and it's just totally different. <laughs> Penny, what do you, any uh, Sangiovese stories? Uh, not particularly. I, I've been drinking Sangioveses for a long time and enjoying them. Uh, we'll say that a, we work with uh, some of the oldest growers of Sangiovese uh, in the Hill Country. Uh, I've got a little vineyard south of Blanco uh, that I work with uh, down there that is quite old and bringing in some really nice quality fruit and uh, also a northern Hill Country vineyard as well. So uh, I'm enjoying working with them and trying to finesse out all the, the little peculiar texas uh qualities of these grapes right 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 (laughs) (laughs) jesse what what do you want you want to say some parting words of sangiovese i'm just always impressed by the range of style of sangiovese you have you know these super tuscans that are experimenting with the bordeaux blends and then you have fresh chianti classico the reservas the brunellos and the rosos so really there's a sangiovese for every occasion and just from italy itself and it's a really you know, expressive grape and can show itself in different ways. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, folks, I hope that you um, have really enjoyed this conversation. I really have. I think that there was um, great blind tasting that was going on. Um, Texas fell a a little short uh, this time, but um, in previous tastings of Texas versus the world, it's done very well. So, um, you know, it might be it might be a lot of different things going on. So um, but thank you for tuning in. This is another bottle down on Co-op Radio. So 91.7 KOOP.org. 
G. And a big thank you to my guests, uh, Russell Smith, who is with Cellar Barcelona and Barron's Creek here in Texas. Russell, thank you so much. I'd like to have you thank on. You. To, yeah, it, it was great to hear all what's going on in Spain. Uh, Petty Adams is winemaker at Wedding Oak Winery. Penny, thanks again for coming into the You're studio. Uh, Rob Moshine, who is the Austin wine guy, consults for several restaurants in town here. And Jesse Brantley um, from Trattoria Lucina and Mandolas. Thank you so much for being here, guys. It's a pleasure. Thank, thank you, you so much. Yeah, okay. Thank well, you. stay tuned for Michaela and what's your status and keep it pegged to uh, to co-op radio throughout the three o'clock rock block and into the evening. Um, next week, we're going to have a bunch of uh, South African winemakers in the house. So uh, stay tuned for that. And I wish you all a wonderful week and uh, drink some great wine and enjoy it responsibly.